0: Christmas child uh, boxes here in the front, so if uh, you would like to take one, please do. Again, these are Uh, $31 per box is just uh, filling them up with uh, different uh, needs, uh, school supplies and gifts as well. And the $31 also includes a gospel storybook as well that uh, gets, this box gets sent to Samaritan's Purse that distributes it to kids uh, in in war-torn countries. Uh, You can also go online as well to samaritanspurse.org and do one online as well. And then the other uh, quick announcement I have is that uh, just a reminder that uh, next Sunday is actually Daylight Savings, and so the hours go back one hour, so just wanted to make sure you knew that so that you are not late to service next week. (laughs) So uh, that's all the announcements I have. Let's uh, go to the Lord and worship Him through some songs.
1: Please stand for our call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 24. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, and he has established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him
2: you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roar? When the people rose to sing of Jesus Christ, the risen one. Welcomed as your own into the arms of majesty. Behold the day. Behold the rising risen sun. More beauty than this world has known. I'm face to face with love himself. Yes, yeah. yeah.
1: jesus we just thank you that we are welcomed into your presence that we are free from the sin that would entangle us and keep us from coming to you with our requests with just being in your presence father we thank you that our name is no longer sinner but our name is child of god we thank you for that reality this morning and also father we thank you for the truth that we are about to see in your scriptures of how you come after us, you redeem us, even when we don't feel like it or even when we can't see that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so, Father, we just ask for all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated.
0: Amen. When well, that same spirit, would you bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord and pray? Lord Jesus, we we praise you and thank you for all that you are, for all that you have done for us, and for all that you continue to do for us. Lord, I'm reminded of the Gospel of Mark in chapter six and having you're having a large crowd following you and you said that you had it says that you had compassion on them, because they were sheep without a shepherd. In that passage we see the very heart of Christ, that you are a compassionate God, that you are a kind God, that you see a people who are wandering, who are astray, and you have compassion on them because they have no one to lead them. And time and again, we read in the Gospels that you are a compassionate Lord as you see the needs and as you see that those who are destitute, those who are suffering, and you have compassion on them. Lord, we thank you for being compassionate towards us, for giving us yourself, for dying for us. We thank you for such grace, for such kindness. You are a Lord who is high above us, who is seated on a throne, who is full of splendor and might and glory and majesty, and yet you come down to us and live as one of us and suffer and die for us because you are a compassionate Lord who would not leave us to ourselves so we thank you lord for being so kind and merciful to us and lord in that same compassion that you've shown us may we also show that compassion towards one another lord that you would fill us with that kind of compassion that we would extend that compassion Graciously, Lord, towards one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would extend that compassion to those who are lost, to those who are in our context, in our communities, in our in our workplaces. That we would be able to show the same kindness to others that you have shown to us. Lord, and we pray for those who are having a difficult time for whatever reason, for those who are struggling for those who are sick. Lord, and we pray that you would be gracious and compassionate towards them. Would you give to them rest and peace, Lord? Even though we know that that rest and that peace doesn't always mean that you would alleviate their suffering or take away the things that cause their distress. But we thank you, Lord, because even in the midst of turmoil, your people can still have peace and rest. So would you show yourself compassionate in those ways? And Lord, we do pray that you would be gracious and alleviate the things that are causing distress and anxiety and worry and suffering. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being a compassionate Lord. Father, we pray for the breaks in their continuing ministry at, at UNH. Lord, we thank you for, for their new baby. We thank you, Lord, for providing for them in this way, that mom and baby are healthy. Lord, would you help them to adjust, to readjust again to having a, a, a newborn in the family and going through sleepless nights and exhausting days. Provide the strength and energy that they need. And Lord, we pray for them as they continue to reach out to the students, and we are thankful, Lord, for the many students that have been drawn uh, to, to, to the ministry looking for for uh, for Christian community and fellowship. And we thank you for those that you have drawn who are not even believers. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to draw believers to this fellowship, to this community, to this ministry, that they would be able to see authentic gospel community and they would be drawn to Jesus. and come to saving faith in Jesus? Would you give to them wisdom and knowledge to know how to continue to reach out to students given the fact that they cannot meet as they were normally used to and how they have to figure out new ways to reach out through social media and through, and through phone? Father, we pray also for Dover a Baptist Church, we pray for the saints that gather there on a weekly basis. Lord, we pray that you would show yourself a compassionate and merciful and kind God to them in the difficulty of these days. But also we know that we do not have to go through, through difficulty or anxiety or suffering to, for you to show yourself a compassionate God. You show yourself to be compassionate and kind when things are good. When seasons are filled with pleasant experiences. So may you continue to show yourself kind and compassionate towards them. Lord, we pray. We pray for our country and we pray, Lord, specifically with with the elections coming up, less than two weeks away. And Father, would you be gracious and restrain, sin, and hard-heartedness, that there would be a stability and a tranquility leading up to the elections, and especially after the elections, no matter what the outcome is. Father, we pray that in all things that your church would, would trust you, no matter what the outcome is. Lord and we do pray for we pray for the church, we pray for Christians all across the country, Lord and Lord, it is tragic and it is so sad to hear and to see many Christians who are being less than godly towards one another, towards the world because of just the turmoil surrounding the elections, God. Lord, would you bring conviction and repentance, Lord, that we would maintain our unity despite everything that's going on? Lord, would you bring conviction upon us, Lord, if we haven't been as godly as you require us to, if we haven't been as compassionate or as kind as we should be because of these elections, Lord, because of the debates and everything that we're hearing and seeing and May we confess those sins to you and to those that we may have offended and pursue that restoration and reconciliation. And Lord, we, but we do pray that there would be a unity among believers, that we would not part with other believers or even part with our own churches because we would be here, some person voted in a way that we would disapprove of. Our unity is not based on elections. Our unity comes from the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for us and has united us to himself. So may we be a people who are eager to maintain that unity. Lord, we love you and we trust you for all of these things. And it is in the name of Christ that we pray now, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please turn to John chapter 21. John 21, verse 1, we'll read down to the end of the chapter. John 21, verse 1. After this... When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish that you have just caught.'" So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we we thank you for the ways that you have taken us through the gospel of John and now have come to this conclusion. We thank you, Lord, for the things that you have taught us, for the things that you have brought to our attention, for the ways that you have convicted us. Lord, and we come before you, we ask that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, May we see you so clearly and so vividly from this passage. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we went through John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the overarching purpose of the gospel of John, and that is that these are things are written so that the reader may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in his name. These things specifically referring to the seven signs in the Gospel of John. So all of these things are intended to point to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the one who's come down to save people from their sins, right? From the turning of water into wine, to feeding of the multitude using five loaves of bread and two fish, to raising a dead man back to life, to even raising himself back to life, all these things are intended to point us that, to the fact that Jesus is not just a man, but Jesus is the very Son of God who's come down from heaven. That This isn't just an ordinary man. And yet at the same time, as so we read in the Gospel of John and also the other Gospels, this Son of God also ate with sinners. He drew near to them. It tells us in the Gospels that when he saw those who were sick, when he saw those who were sheep without a shepherd, that he had compassion on them, that he healed them. But when others would stay away from the lepers, Jesus instead would draw near to the lepers and cure them and heal them. He did all these things, and then he comes to the climatic conclusion of the the death his own death and his resurrection. And the Gospel of John tells us that this is a part of his glorification, that the crucifixion of Christ is the glorification of Christ, that this is where we would see him most vividly. And not only that, but after his resurrection, that he must also ascend back to the Father to sit at the right hand of God. A lot of things can happen to make people change. And we can... And we can talk about how some perhaps might come to, uh, for whatever, whatever ways they might be, they come to uh, a different status or popularity, become famous, become celebrities, right? And there are actually even psychologists who devote a lot of their study to looking into the psychological effects of popularity and fame and what it does to the person, specifically how it negatively affects the person. Jesus right, after his rising from the dead showing that he is the Christ receiving the glorification of the of the resurrection receiving the glorification that is due to his name because of who he is and also because of what he's done and then to be seated at the right hand of God in a place of prestige and glory and honor right is he still the same Christ as he was prior to his resurrection Right, and the answer is, he is. And we see that in the passage. But before we get to really the the heart or the meat of the passage, there's some just some small details that I think would be helpful just to kind of briefly, very briefly, just talk about, get it out of the way, so we can just focus on the, the heart of the passage. Some things that maybe you have lingering questions about, Have you, maybe if you've studied the passage before or having heard it read aloud now and just wondering what these things mean this is some really quick things just to kind of get out of the way but so the first thing is just the in these small details is the authenticity and john refers to himself as in the third person that john is the one who is an eyewitness of these accounts and he says that this is now the third time that jesus reveals himself and if you read the other gospel what well, jesus revealed himself plenty of other times more than three times now john i think is the reason i bring this up is because it's to help us to be aware that John is only talking about his own eyewitness accounts, that he had seen the Lord Jesus three times. That this being at the sea while the ship, uh, while they were fishing was the third time. Another one you might be familiar with is this: is the question surrounding love. When, when Jesus is directly confronting Peter or addressing Peter and asking him if he loves him, he asked him three times. And you may have heard that that there might be a, a, a growing intensity in, in, in Peter's love for Jesus. And some people allude to the fact that there's two different Greek words for love used in that passage, and they will make the argument that, that, his, that Peter's uh, intensity is growing from one kind of love to another. And, and quite frankly, and to be quick, I, I don't think that's really the case. In fact, those, even though there are two Greek words used in that particular section, they're actually used synonymously. In fact, there's different uh, publications written around the same time that the gospel of John was written that uses these two Greek words synonymously. So, love is love, right? It's it's kind of hard to think about because I don't think in the English language we have two words for love. In in the Spanish language, we have two different words that tended to be used synonymously. But when we say, we can say, I love ice cream and say, I love my spouse in the same sentence, right? And People understand what the meaning is, but it might implicitly communicate that you either love ice cream too much or you love your spouse too little. But we kind of get the general idea. At least we hope that the person is communicating that they still love their spouse more than they love ice cream. The other one is surrounding John's death, right? Jesus says that, just to Peter, if it is my will that I. That, uh, that he remained, that John remains until I come. What is that to you? And G- John says that many people believe, or this, the saying spread abroad, that John is not to die until Jesus comes. And so John seeks to correct that understanding or that, that, that false understanding of what Jesus intended to communicate. It wasn't in trying to say anything at all. Jesus was intending to, to tell Peter, just mind your own business. Right, if that was the case, if John was actually supposed to be alive until Jesus comes, right, then something would have to be true about that statement. Some things would have to be true, and that is either John is still alive, right? If Jesus had not come, and Jesus will not come before John dies, and that means that John is still alive out there somewhere, super old, and we ought to be looking for him. But we know that John cannot be still living I mean, church tradition tells us that John did die. I mean, he was exiled to the island of Patmos and required to work in the mines. Later on, he was released, and he died in an old age, essentially. He didn't die as one of the martyrs like the other disciples did. But John did, in fact, die, and he also corrects the understanding. That's not what Jesus says. It's essentially what he's saying. The other thing that might have to be true if this was the case is that, that maybe... Jesus already came, and then John died, and then you and I have already missed the boat. Right? That we were born 2,000 years too late. Jesus has already come, John's died, and it's all over. But we know that's also not true because the scriptures, Revelation, Letter to the Romans tell us that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth when Christ returns, and as far as I can tell, there isn't a new earth yet. And so John corrects that understanding, no, it's not that he wasn't going to see Jesus or the world wasn't going to see Jesus before he dies. Now, the other minor detail is the we. John says that we are bearing witness to these things. Who's the we that he's talking about? And John oftentimes to himself in the third person. He never uses the first person. He never says, I. But church history has always understood that John is the one who wrote this gospel. When he says that beloved disciple, he's referring to himself. This might be an editorial we, which is used by an editor or a spokesperson when speaking with the authority of the publication. He could be referring to we as in the church in Ephesus, which was the church that he was, that he belonged to. He could be referring to the other apostles, or he could be referring to himself and the witness of the Holy Spirit. We really don't know now the last minor detail is in that last verse in John 21 where John says that he's supposed that the world that could not contains the books that would be written if everything about Jesus were to be written down for us and here again i think we have a careful we have evidence of k of a careful construction and intentional choices made on the part of the author that he's chosen these things he's chosen these specific signs not on a but intentionally, in order to communicate, to drive to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. But do we take what he said literally? Maybe. I think more I think it's tended to be more metaphorically, to be honest. In John eight thirty seven, when Jesus is speaking to the religious teachers, he says that they do not that, that you do not believe in me because you cannot bear my word, because my word finds no place in you. In other words, there's no room for the Word of God in their hearts. That they're, they're filled with religiosity, with legalism, with self-centeredness, with sin. That they're, they're too inward, they're too focused on themselves to make any room for the Word of God. So this is, could be what John means. to Matthew Henry says that if all was written we would be given to endless reading and study and never arriving to the heart of the Scriptures. In other words, if if there was a a massive amount of books written about Jesus, his life, and all that he did, and all that he said, and all that he taught, and the meaning behind every one of his miracles, that we might be tended to give ourselves to much more reading, to much more studying, and and getting further and further away from the heart of the Scriptures, which points to Jesus Christ as the Son of God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that, that all scriptures out by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Sort of paraphrasing there. So what we have written for us in the Scriptures is enough for us to know who God is, to know how to have a relationship with Him, and to be equipped for every good work. And so, what we should not desire to know more about Jesus than what we already have, that this is sufficient, that we should be satisfied with what we have, that we should be content with what we have. Another Puritan, John Owen, spent 20 years of his life studying the book of Hebrews and had produced a seven-volume commentary on the book of Hebrews, verse by verse, Now, the reason I bring that up is not to say say that we should all be a John Owen, but the point that I'm bringing that up is because if a man can spend 20 years of his life just studying one book, that tells you just how deep and how profound is the Word of God. And there's 66 books of the Bible. right? There's enough there to last you plenty beyond a lifetime. And if you ever get bored with the Bible, then I would argue that it's because you're not meditating are studying or digesting the word of God enough. What we have written for us is enough. So then, brushing all those details aside, let's kind of move to the heart of the passage. The disciples go out to fish, and Jesus appears on the shore. Now, only a few, not a few, but not all the disciples are present, only some of them. At this point, the disciples have seen their risen Lord twice, Twice they've seen Jesus. He is still alive and well. The Lord, their master, they have believed in him. And he's still alive. And so after all of that, they then go out fishing. Now we might say, well, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't your time be best used if maybe considering these things, that Jesus is still alive? Maybe going to the synagogue and learning from the scriptures and seeing how they might point to jesus christ maybe we should be they should be given to praying and fasting to with one another to contemplate these things maybe as they wait for further instruction to wait to see what is next but what they're doing and going out to fishing is not less than spiritual praying and fasting yes would have been good but again this is their profession a man's got to eat. A man's got to put food on the table for his family, and this is what they got to do. So they're not being less than faithful and going out to fish. In fact, right, sometimes we don't know, right? Sometimes we ask the Lord for direction, for guidance. I don't know what to do in this situation. Lord, help me to know what the next step is. Or sometimes, receive, sometimes some people receive a specific call, right, to go to the nations to, to missions or to do a specific task, or responsibility for the lord All right but as as you're waiting for what the answer is or what the next step is in every case the most faithful that you the most most faithful thing that you can do as you're waiting is to just continue to take care of your responsibilities to so continue to do what the lord has called you to do in that particular time in that particular season Right, you can pray all you want to, but if you missed a week of work and you go to work and the boss asks you where you've been, well, I've been praying for the last few weeks. Well, you're fired. Right, it's not... In that sense, praying is good, but praying obviously didn't keep your job. The most faithful thing that we can do is to continue to wait, is to continue to be faithful and continue to be responsible with the things that the Lord has called us to do. And it is in those moments that the Lord shows up the Lord answers. But what about passages that says that that we should be seeking the kingdom? Seek seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. i speak speaking to the priorities of your heart. Prioritize the seeking of the kingdom, pursuing the kingdom, seeking Jesus, pursuing Jesus Christ. That that is the main priority, but it's not the only priority. I have a priority to my family, but it doesn't mean I stop writing sermons each week. You have a priority to your job, to show up, to do your tasks, to do your responsibilities, to do it well, but it doesn't mean that you forsake your family. But our primary responsibility as Christians is to pursue the kingdom of Christ. And part of that pursuing of the kingdom is to continue to be responsible with all that the Lord has entrusted to us. And first... Thessalonians 4, 3, it says that the will, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. In all circumstances, whether you are waiting for the Lord to, make sure, to assure you of what the answer is or what the next step is, you know that the will of God for your life, the way to be faithful right now is to continue to walk in purity and in sanctification. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we an example of somebody who was patiently waiting. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and he blessed God. Essentially, this man, Simeon, was waiting for the promised Messiah. He received the word from the Lord. He was waiting. But he was also considered to be a man who was righteous and devout. You don't get to be considered or characterized as righteous and devout by just waiting at home and doing nothing. He was righteous and devout in his life as he waited to see the Messiah. So then, Jesus reveals himself. They cast a net as they are told to do by the man who's at the shore, and they realize that this is Jesus. Right, so, this is the third time that Jesus Christ returns to the disciples. And by the way, also notice that Jesus doesn't scold the disciples or rebuke them for going out fishing. But this particular revelation of Jesus is actually quite telling. And before, and there's other two revelations, I mean, according to the Gospel of John, he didn't really say much. But here is Jesus, the one who had turned water into wine, the one who gave sight to the blind man, the one who rose from the dead, has revealed himself again to the disciples, and he's provided a meal for them. And he invites them to come back and have breakfast together. The same Lord who was drawn to sinners healed the sick who had compassion of the people still the same Lord after his resurrection who invites the disciples to come and have breakfast with him the same caring and loving Lord this is the same Jesus who also prayed for his disciples who prays for all his people who prays for his church Lord I desire that they whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory Jesus Christ so desires that his people be with him. And he loves his people and he desires for his people so much that he cannot wait until that day where we are all united with him. But instead, he comes to us today through his Holy Spirit who abides in us because that is how much he desires to commune with us, to fellowship with us. And that's a small picture that we see in this passage. That Jesus is so loving towards his disciples that he enjoys them so much, their company, that he shows up one more time and invites them to have breakfast. I mean, I can't imagine just the conversations they've had, probably the last that they had, just having a meal with Jesus. In 1 John 1, verse 3... (laughs) says that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete i mean that's a wonderful compliment to john's purpose in his gospel in chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 write these things so that you may believe that jesus the christ the son of god and may have life in his name and by the way, I also write these things to proclaim these things to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with God the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There is wonderful joy that comes with having fellowship with Jesus Christ. And there is a joy that, also, that is also there in the fellowship of believers. Because we all have that same fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus loves to draw near to us and loves having that fellowship with his people, as we see in this passage. So then after this fellowship, this chapter concludes with a command. So after they have breakfast together, Jesus specifically addresses Peter and asks him three times, if peter loves him and what we see here is the restoration of peter peter who had denied the lord jesus three times denied knowing him denied being one of his disciples is now restored to fellowship with jesus as he's asked three times if he indeed loves jesus and how do we know that peter's love for jesus is even genuine well, because when he realized what he has done in his denial of the Lord Jesus, he went away and he grieved. Not only that, but we read here in the passage that in this third time when Jesus asked him, do you love me? It says he is grieved. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And how do we know that Jesus knows that Peter's love for him is genuine? Because he Entrusts him with a responsibility. He gives him a command Tend my sheep, feed my lambs. And in this way, we also know that Jesus loves Peter in return because he entrusts him with his flock. This isn't Peter's flock, this isn't John's flock, this isn't a flock that belongs to the apostles. This is the Lord's flock. He says, "Tend my sheep, feed my lambs." Jesus would not entrust this kind of soul care over his people to Peter if he did not know for sure that Jesus that Peter loved him. Because if somebody's going to take care of God's flock. Well, they must love the Lord Jesus first and foremost because they will tend to that flock out of a love for Jesus Christ. And Peter had to be restored, right? If he's going to go out and preach the gospel, if he's going out to be persecuted because of the gospel, then he has to, be, he has to do so with a, with a clear conscience knowing that he has been fully restored to Jesus, knowing that Jesus loves him. Knowing that things between him and Jesus are okay, better than okay. Even in this way, we continue to see the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's still the same Jesus who cares for the sick, who dies for sinners. Because he restores Peter to himself. The Lord's forgiveness, the Lord's restoration for your life is not determined by how many tears you shed. It's not determined by how long you are walking in sorrow over your sin. It's not determined by good works. You're being restored to the Lord Jesus is not determined by the restlessness that you have at night over your sin. But it's all a matter of love. Jesus doesn't confront Peter and ask him, well, how much did you cry, Jesus? How many many tears did you shed? How long was your sorrow? What did you do after you denied me? Why did you deny me? He didn't ask all these questions. All that he asked was, Peter, do you love me? Sometimes it's just as simple as that. It is just as simple as that. And so if you are, if there's a restlessness in your heart, if you feel like there, isn't, that, like there isn't any peace between you and the Lord, maybe because of sins, maybe because of something that you did or failed to do, the only thing that the Lord Jesus asks is, do you love me? And if you can answer that question genuinely and confidently, in the affirmative and saying yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then you can rest because you have peace with the Lord God through Jesus Christ. The Lord loves as part of His heart, as part of His DNA, to forgive sin. He wants to forgive sin. He wants to pursue reconciliation. He wants to show compassion. He wants to help sinners. That is what he does. That's what he's good at. That's what he loves to do. He wants us to take all our sins to him. And we need not fear that he will be judgmental or condemning towards us because he loves to extend compassion towards those who truly love him. then after Peter's restoration, there's the Lord's call. And Jesus says, Peter, you used to dress yourself when you were young, you used to go wherever you wanted, but you will grow old and others will dress you and will take you where you will not want to go. And John makes this comment in parentheses, this editorial comment telling us that this is the way that that Peter was going to die or how he was going to glorify God in his death. And John would know this. I mean, he outlived all of the disciples. John probably witnessed the death of Peter, or at least had heard about the death of Peter. Because at this time, I mean, when Jesus said these words, Peter probably had no idea what Jesus was referring to. John probably had no idea what he was referring to. But John wrote this letter many years, many years after Jesus had resurrected and ascended. So John knew at this point, looking back to these words, that Jesus was referring to Peter's death. And this, by the way, extinguishes any doubts that anybody might have concerning Peter's love for Jesus. Because this is how much Peter loved Jesus. He preached the gospel and died for the gospel. And it's such a fitting conclusion that this gospel ends with the call to follow me. He's speaking to Peter, also speaking to the disciples as well, but he's also speaking to us. Given all the signs that are written in the gospel of John, given all the things that that the scriptures tell us about Jesus and how these signs point to Jesus as a son of God, Jesus commands us to come and follow him. And for Peter, that cost of following Jesus was high because he gave his life for the gospel, for following Jesus. This is the price he paid for tending to the flock of God, for feeding the flock of God. There is a price to be paid for every minister of the gospel. And the dark truth about this command to follow, especially for ministers, for pastors, for elders, is that there are wolves that at times intend to come into the sheepfold to scatter the sheep, that sometimes they may be successful, and that there are also times when the wolves come intending to strike the shepherd and are successful. And the task of the shepherd is to, is to contend for the flock. And contending for the flock includes fighting for the flock. And sometimes it costs them their ministry, and sometimes it costs them their life, as it did for Peter. But it's not just a cost that only shepherds are called to take up. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying that the cost of following him means that you are called to forsake all of your family and friends and not ever say goodbye. Jesus is not saying that you are never allowed to bury your loved ones. Jesus is talking to the heart and is saying that anybody who says, Jesus, I will follow you, but... Let me take care of my business. Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but let me take care of my wealth. Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but you give me five or ten years. Jesus says that anybody sees the that's responds to the call of following him in that way. is not fit for the kingdom of God. There is a cost of following Jesus. In fact, Jesus also tells us, right, in the Gospels that there is a cost. He doesn't want people to be unaware that there is a cost. But for some of you, right, some of you have paid a cost for following Jesus. Maybe you have lost friends, so relationships have been severed. Maybe a relationship between family members is not as pleasant as they once used to be, right? It might cost uh, someone's job or reputation or status, right? In some way, shape, or form, you've paid the cost of following Jesus. At the very least, you've you've paid the cost of laying down your own personal preferences and desires, living for your own self in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Following Jesus is costly, and following Jesus means being led into the thick of battle to battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. But if you are following Jesus into the thick of battle, Jesus will also lead you into glory. Jesus calls us to follow him and pay the cost of following him because he knows that the reward is much greater than the cost that you're called to bear. Jesus doesn't command us as a high-ranking officer who only knows us by our name. Jesus commands us as one who knows us, who loves us, who is compassionate towards us, and who died for us. Therefore, we don't follow him out of duty alone, but more so because we know him and because we love him. And on the path that we're called to follow, right, mistakes will be made. but we can rest assured that Jesus will not cast us aside because he is a compassionate Lord. And he's always ready to restore us and to simply ask us, do you love me? Do you love me? And he will de- he's going to deal gently and caringly with us if we can answer that question by genuinely responding in return, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus loves you. He's compassionate towards you, he's merciful to you. He knows, he knows better than anybody the cost of the gospel. And he also knows better than anybody else the rewards of the call of the gospel. And he's promised To share those rewards with you. We pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for all that you have taught us. The Gospel of John, we thank you also for this call to follow you. Lord, and we admit that this call isn't always easy. In fact, it's probably harder than it is easy. And many seasons in our lives. Lord, but let us remember that you are a kind and compassionate Lord who is with us and desires to help us to strengthen us and also to forgive us when we have sinned. And we thank you, Lord, for the rewards that you have that you have kept for us, that is waiting for us. May we look to the reward. May we follow you. Give us the grace. Give us the strength to follow you. And you are worthy because you died for us. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand.
1: So, this will be a little bit of a new song this morning. So, if you don't feel comfortable singing on the first verse with us, that's okay. You just listen to these glorious words. Who am I that the
2: highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he.
1: A time of benediction. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go forth, brothers and sisters, preaching the gospel, for the days are short before our Lord shall return. Peace be with you. And may the love of Jesus Christ carry you throughout this week and through the ends of your life. And peace be with you until we return again, Lord willing.